Eugenia, she's the founder of Unleash Synergy, and she's here today to share some of what she's learned about orgasms, long-term relationships, alternative relationships, kink, sex clubs, and much more. Eugenia is an accredited energy therapist, a passionate sexuality guide, with some 12 years of extensive training, focusing on personal growth and dating and deepening relationships healing and sexual wellness because it often starts there if you're not good with yourself how can you be good with someone else Eugenia has worked with individuals and couples and some major players too like coca-cola vitamin water the university of toronto oh and she's also the author of alice in polyland and that's what caught my eye right off what a great title welcome to the blue hotel Eugenia. Thank you so much. So beautiful to be here. Tell us this. Let's start at the beginning. You had a very different past than what you've come to discover and make a career of. Tell us about growing up. Hmm. So I come from Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. And as I usually share, there was no sex in Soviet Union. Uh, There was no sex education. We had no idea how children even appeared. Whenever a movie would show a couple, if they were about to kiss, they would just pan out to show birch trees. So you had no idea what you were doing. Uh, And I felt like I was stuck in the box, unable to get out. Like I just could not express myself. I couldn't understand what was going on. Uh, And I think personally that kind of propelled me to start exploring sexuality, start exploring um, pleasure and diving deeper into it. Did you have to leave there to do that? Yeah, like we immigrated when I was 19 and shortly thereafter, I was asking myself all sorts of questions. I was like, how come I'm not having orgasms? What is pleasure? What is, you know, female sexuality about? So I had no answers and it was a fun way to explore it. So would you call yourself a late bloomer as a result of that different upbringing? Definitely. Yeah. Like I think my first orgasm was when I was 23. I loved the exploration all the way from, you know, exploring all sorts of pleasure to then diving into the kink scene, you know, sex clubs, then starting to teach at sex clubs, then, you know, opening up my marriage, becoming polyamorous. It's been it's been quite a journey and then exploring energetic sexuality. So, um, yeah, it's been incredible. I've never spoken to anyone with quite that background that you have. And it prompts me to wonder what you think about this. I think sometimes there's there's great reason behind the idea that we are who we are when we're born. It just reveals itself over time. Your surroundings didn't suggest you would become this woman that you've become in this field that you're in. Do you think it was in you to begin with? Well, I do believe in the ideas of sort of personal task and the life task. And so people say that there's something that you are here to explore. And for me, for sure, it was personal growth, sexuality, relationships, love. And then once you explore it enough, we're still learning, of course, you know, uh, then you want to share that knowledge with others. And, and that becomes your life task. And that's how I feel. I feel so like passionate about embracing, uh, helping others embrace this energy and just really embrace pleasure, becoming more authentically aligned with who we are inside. It's just a beautiful feeling. Let's go back to something I started with uh, before anyone can have a great relationship with a partner. And this is so important, I think. You have to have a great relationship with yourself 
How true do you think that is? And how often do you think it's overlooked? For sure. I think it's very true. And uh, our connection with ourselves is primary, is foundational. Um, Often what I see in some of my clients is that um, it's a very difficult kind of relationship that we have inside, that conflict that keeps arising. We, you know, a lot of times we don't love ourselves. A lot of times we're not our best friends. And uh, all of that um, comes at a cost. Uh, you know, it, all of our fears, we might be stopping ourselves from achieving our fullest potential. I think that all starts with your connection with yourself. We can, we can do great damage to a relationship and ultimately to a partner because of some shortcoming or, or at least some perception of a shortcoming in and of ourselves. So you work with a lot of people, is my understanding to find out who they are and what the damage is and to help them heal that so they can be better prepared in the next relationship to have a successful one? Yeah, I think all of us have certain wounds or certain patterns that we're working through. Some of us are really aware of them and and others not so much, but I think all of us are kind of working through things. And so I think it's important to become aware of these blockages that are preventing us from living our best lives and ultimately connecting with others if that's what we want to do. And um, yeah, I think it's very foundational, very important work. Here's one that I haven't delved into with anyone recently. And it's one that I know is prevalent, all genders. What's your take on jealousy? What's the root of jealousy and how damaging can it be? There are multiple cultures around the world that don't uh, view jealousy the way we view it. And so they might just notice and say, hey, okay, I'm feeling jealous. And then they work through it and then move on, right? Whereas in our culture and some, some other cultures around the world, we feel inclined to... Uh, you know, have heated conversations or arguments about this, or some people would even kill if they feel jealous towards their partner. Um, So I think it's all about perception. I think it's also about ownership, about possessing somebody. I often think about the notion of love and whether there has to be this possession in order to feel the love, or can you just let the person be who they are? Before we were farming, when we were hunting and gathering, there were communities of, say, 150 people. And, and, and some of the men would go and, and, and kill the beasts and bring them back for the barbecue, as it were. And women would be uh, tending to children. They would be um, gathering berries, things that you can eat that you don't kill. And there was probably children being born um, women with different men in the tribe. Everyone took care of everyone. And it wasn't a matter of jealousy. It was a matter of survival. And, uh, and then, to your point about ownership, when we started farming, doing agriculture, we put fences around our properties and we put our tractors, you know, when, when there became a combustible engine, we put our machinery in a barn and we kept our thing. And the next farmer over kept his thing. And the next farmer over kept his thing. And one of his things speaking of possessions, was his family. And it started with his wife. This is mine. I possess you. Love and possession. It's an interesting thing. We tend to think of love at its purest form as something you give rather than something you become an owner of. 
Yes, I agree with you. And there's a great book on the subject called uh, Sex at Dawn um, that does talk about, yeah, the fact that we used to be polyamorous and then the agricultural revolution happened. And the only way to ensure um, the paternity is to to essentially, you know, own, uh, own, own and be sort of married to the person. Right. And that's how marriage um, started out, um, but there are still cultures around the world, like Misu culture, where they practice walking marriage. It's matriarchal society, and you know, men just come to visit women, and, and women have children, and the children stay with the mother, and so there's no nuclear of the family per se, and so divorce doesn't really affect them as much. So there are different ways to organize um, relationships, and um, and marriage is not the only way for sure. Tell me this about you. You spoke already, and we'll get more into it when we get into the book that I uh, talked of, Alice in Polyland. Um, did you start out having uh, one-on-one relationships that were monogamous? Did you find those to be unsuccessful, or did you find those to be limiting, and that led you to polyamory? I think for me, I was practicing what is called serial monogamy, which is very common for us, right? We tend to stay with a person for a while, and then you know we would tend to move on. I got married pretty early. I met my husband when I was 19. And I think because um, I wasn't experienced, right? Like I really didn't bloom into who I am and I wanted to experiment more with sexuality. And also I kept on falling in love with people. Like I think I'm just naturally, I've, I've always been polyamorous. So even growing up when I was a little girl, when, you know, my parents would ask me, so, you know, which prints do you like? I would have like a long list. So I think it really started off there. Uh, and at some point I um, opened my marriage and I started seeing other people. And um, right now I am married and I have a partner of um, over four years. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the things you found that were difficult at first? Jealousy is definitely a part of it, for sure. You need to learn how to work through it. Um, another one is communication. You have to be really good at communication. And I would say if you are exploring the open relationship route, it's good to be able to uh, communicate this right away and also you know, be prepared to have uh, conflict resolution that works for multiple partners. I think self-awareness is key as well because we don't want to be projecting too much stuff onto our partners. We need to own what is ours, what, what our issues are. Um, and uh, I think time management. Right now I am graduating from a master's degree in counseling psychology program becoming psychotherapist and I noticed that oh my god you know having two kids two partners uh running a business and studying um in the master's program that really <laughs> that really takes a toll May 2024 you will take the next step into your into your practice yes I'm very excited I'm going to become a psychotherapist that's amazing will you practice both in person and online um, I think so. Yeah, like I will probably focus mostly online, but uh, for those who have a strong preference uh, to see me in person, there will be an option as well. And out of what city will you be practicing? I'm in Toronto right now. And we're about two hours from Toronto at the Blue Hotel where we record these podcasts. There's a lot of great psychotherapists in, in Toronto. You would separate yourself from the rest of them in what very specific way do you think if I had to put you on the spot? Of course. Well, my passion is sexuality, personal growth, dating and relationships. So I will be focusing on those areas. And I think uh, initially it would be great for us to take a look at who we are and deepen our connection with ourselves. 
Then there is the dating and relationship guidance that I offer. And then there is sexuality and pleasure. And all of it is done in a holistic way because I have background and energy healing. So there are some mindfulness exercises. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's kind of a fun combo, sex education, therapy, and mindfulness together. I saw the way people's faces and bodies and um, entireties were uh, impacted by your healing and energy ways on your YouTube channel, and it was really quite something. Now, I'm a bit of a skeptic in so many ways, the old believe it when I see it, but then you see it, and you've really had an effect on people. Mm -hmm. Well, healing can come in a variety of ways, and I think the videos that you mostly see on YouTube are about energy orgasm, right? So it's kind of a combination of healing and sexuality. Uh, I also offer healings that are non-sexual in nature, right? It's, it's kind of more working with yourself. But when we speak of energy orgasms, uh, it's a really, really fun phenomena. It teaches you how to have a full body, and they usually call it multidimensional experience. So, you know, I've had people who squirted from, you know, the energy orgasm, which is done touch-free, fully closed. Back up the bus. Women who squirted without even being touched, it was through a communication and through the movement of energy assisted by you in a room with them. That's phenomenal. When did you start doing that? And, and didn't it feel empowering? Yeah, I think when I graduated from my healing school, I was always interested in this phenomenon of energy orgasms. Uh, but I, there wasn't much information online. It was really hard to understand how to accomplish it. And so I was open to this experience and a partner at a time that was also kind of aligned with me in terms of the energetic practices. Uh, both of us, we had this experience spontaneously and I was like, okay, this is the energy orgasm. And then I went back and I kind of deciphered, okay, these are the steps that would help people achieve it right and now uh, um, i teach this program for solo energy orgasm practices but also for couples and for practitioners and i just love doing it because it's a combination of healing energy work mindfulness and sexuality all in one and it's a very gentle way to experience orgasms for the first time like i had women who've never experienced orgasms and they've being survivors of um, sexual assault, for example, right? And this has been like a healing kind of mindful, gentle way for them to experience it. I've worked with men who just wanted to become multi-orgasmic. And so this allows you to become multi-orgasmic without uh, the need to ejaculate. You can choose to ejaculate at some point or not, but it teaches you how to cycle the energy. So there are different applications of this experience. It's great for couples, for connection as well. One of the greatest things a man can do is not ejaculate, but still feel like he had an orgasm. And you can spend the whole day, if you have a day off, with your partner and be in this uh, state of, um, this elevated state at which you don't have to come and still you feel like you were completely satisfied. The experience that you were describing is similar uh, to what I would describe, yes, yeah, energy orgasm, is that ability to hang on to the orgasm and just experience this bliss and pleasure throughout your body, but also like emotional connection, right? Also, also kind of this blissful thought free awareness for some of us who are more spiritual, it's even maybe the spiritual union. It's just a beautiful multidimensional experience um, that is not um, necessarily connected to ejaculation. Can everyone get there eventually? 
I believe it's our birthright to experience energy orgasms. Um, it comes easier to some of us, um, like, for example, people who are very sensitive, who meditate a lot, uh, who are also sexually expressive. It comes easier uh, to them sometimes, you know, during the first session, they just start explaining the steps and, and they already are going with it, you know. Um, and, and then sometimes it takes longer for others because if somebody is very analytical, if they, if they haven't meditated, they're not in touch with their body as much, right? Maybe they're not as sensitive. It might take them a bit longer. Perhaps they have more blockages and they don't feel as free or expressed. It might take them longer to have that experience, but I truly believe that all of us are able to do it. You just made me think back to the life change you made at 19 coming over here to North America mm -hmm. and really delving into things that a lot of people might have delved into younger, but you had led a different and very conservative life. Do you still have relations with family uh, back in Russia? I do. Like all of my family is here, but we, we are close and we are different, but um, we are close. Uh, I mean, when I look at the current political climate, I have some friends in Russia and I think about you know, what would have happened if I stayed? And I'm so glad that I'm in Canada, honestly, because my belief system is just not aligned with the rush, you know, with the Russian belief system at all, like all of the um, discrimination and uh, homophobia and everything, right? Like I wouldn't be able to be who I am there. So I'm so, so happy um, that um, we've come to Canada. Long-term relationships uh, can use, often can use, because, you know, time marches on and people get more familiar and routine stacks upon routine. The idea of spicing things up can mean many different things, how we go about it, the ways in which seem numerous. Let's say couples just want to somehow find a way to stay one-on-one, -on -one, uh, monogamous. What are the things that you can touch on now that have worked with couples you have worked with? I believe so, of course. I have a lot of clients who are monogamous, and I think it's incredible to be able to reach this depth of connection, right, with somebody. And I think love is a verb. And so I think it's all about just really investing into each other, learning about what makes them feel loved, what turns them on, surprising them. Like Esther Perel talks about two opposing needs. One is for stability and safety, and the other one is for spontaneity and surprises and mystery. Uh, and so combining those two, right, like really deeply loving someone, but also surprising them, but also maybe, you know, trying different things together, going places, like even watching your partner doing something that they love and they're great at uh, could, um, you know, spark more excitement between you, maybe going into um, uh, adventures together or trying starting new hobbies together, even going to the sex club and just becoming voyeurs or playing in front of others, you know, you don't have to involve anybody into it. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that investment is very, very important. I love what you said about love being a verb. Well, you've mentioned, um, the sex at dawn, which is a book everyone should read the, the sort of analogy we made back to, um, hunters and gatherers versus owners. Sex at dawn is a great book. It's a great start into the reading. And you mentioned Esther Perel, mating in captivity is a, is a must read for anyone that's thinking about these things in particular, thinking about how to be with someone for a long time and how to keep it exciting. The thing you said I really like about seeing someone doing something they really like to do. Sometimes we do things completely separately and, and getting to see someone in their 
in their glory, in their enjoyment of a thing they really love to do, you can see them in a bit of a different light. It's not to be underestimated, the power of that, is it? Absolutely. And, and also maybe scheduling date nights. You know, some people are hesitant to schedule sex or schedule date nights, but it's, you know, it really shows the um, the investment in the relationship, you know, and, and prioritizing it because we tend to be so busy. We're constantly doing things. We're on our, our devices. Uh, but I think our attention and our love and uh, really taking the time to deeply connect with someone, uh, leaving the devices behind and just fully, you know, uh, abs- uh, absorb and, and ask them, how are they today? You know, what, what, what has been going on? How are you feeling in the relationship? So those check-ins and those scheduled date nights um, are great as well. You know, sure. movies aren't what they used to be. That would be the regular date night of the week back in the day. But there's still theaters open. I used to uh, say, go to um, Carlton Cinemas. I think they're still around. Smaller theaters. The movies were a little less blockbuster, a little more artsy. That kind of thing. Find the artsy uh, cinema and yeah. take your date take your date there and see something I love, different. I love Carlton. There's TIFF now and they play festival movies. It's incredible. Well, there, yeah. And then it's more just between you and she or you and he. Mm-hmm. It's more between the two of you than, than what everyone else is doing at the mall. Tell me about this. There's different levels of non-monogamy. You know, people joke about being monogamish. I always say you have to agree to something. You have to negotiate the boundaries or you're just shooting in the dark. You can't just guess at it. You can't guess at what they're thinking and they can't guess at what you're thinking. You have to talk about it, don't you? Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, there's a group that I run every September. It's called Limitless. And as part of it, we discuss uh, different configurations, uh, that sort of range, right? And there's even um, um, a visual that I usually show. And it's quite a Venn diagram, right? Like it's it's quite a quite a spread from like being monogamous and non-monogamish and then maybe having play partners, right? And then some people even practice, you know, we're mostly monogamous, but when I'm away on a trip, you know, I might play with somebody, uh, like a 10 mile rule uh, type of thing. And then you can start getting more into swinging, right? Or threesomes, foursomes, and then all the way to polyamory where you might also be able to share emotional connections with others. And I agree with you, it's so important to communicate these preferences because they're very important to some people some people would never be able to be in an open relationship and others might not function well in monogamy so i think it's really important to discuss that here's the thing that i used to get in trouble with in my discussions about anything not just specific to polyamory non-monogamy it's some people need more time to process so you may have had time to think about this thing you've been thinking about for six weeks and then you present it to your partner Mm -hmm. don't expect an answer right away let them have days, maybe even weeks, like you did, to think about the thing. Don't pressure them to do a thing. If you pressure someone, they may end up saying yes when they really ultimately aren't going to be comfortable, and it's really a no. Patience definitely is key here, and it's difficult to open up a relationship that's starting off um, monogamous, right? So you definitely need to give your partner all the time that they need to uh, understand uh, whether or not they're open to this idea. 
Um, but if you're on a dating site, for example, I often coach people who are dating, I would tell people right away what I'm looking for, right? Because I think that's important. If somebody knows for sure they don't want a monogamous relationship, you need to make it apparent. You don't want to leave it until date number six or 10, because it just might not work for people. So I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's say you're a Tinder date and you see each other in the first, in the first 30 seconds, you might not bring it up, but you know. Uh, before the date is over, <laughs> once you've established probably whether you're into this person enough to bring it up and, and you, and you get a sense that they're into you enough to accept it, to hear it, it is important to say things like, I'm not looking for monogamy or mm -hmm. I'm bi or I'm poly, or these are the things that I know to be true about myself so that they have a chance to say, Hmm, not for me or I'm still interested in date number two, right? For sure. And I would even include like, you know, what is your attachment style? Uh, what are your love languages? You know, what, what type of sexuality are you into? Among other things, like it could be, you know, what type of books that you read or is working out important to you. But I think it's important to have those conversations to just kind of see if you are aligned in those main areas of your life. Very adult, very 2024. Five, six, seven, eight. I, I wonder, it seems like we've come so far suddenly. Or is it just me? It just seems like the last couple or few years. Is it just me or is everything kind of catching up? Well, I think we're living a lot. Yeah, like our lives are so much faster now. Yeah, I feel like we are growing so much and, you know, getting so much information in and out there's like a lot more energy exchange happening and the movies are reflecting this the content of movies the content of television series the content of our news as a result what i love the most about how far we've come is while the right the so-called extreme right particularly in america but it, it's all over the world it just seems a little less so in canada because we're a little more moderate um, empathetic and so on. But there was a story in Missouri today and, and some of these Southern-ish states um, have a lot of pushback from the right in areas of LGBTQ. And there's a lot of laws trying to be passed to suppress um, marginalized portions of our community. It often has mm -hmm. to do with sex and gender. But there was, a, there was a great pushback by the LGBTQ people that were in the government that said, no, we are we care for our citizens to the degree that we're not limiting their um, access to information, access to care. They're humans, and they're no mm -hmm. less humans because of their sexuality. So that was a bit of good news today that I got mm -hmm. from, from from social media. We have to celebrate these 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 um, little victories because for every one of those, there's another lawmaker who's got an extreme right position that's trying to push back and push down and hold back and hold down. People are yeah. just trying to live a decent life. There's nothing illegal about sexuality or, or, or gender um, um, uncertainty, is there? Yeah, yeah, it's disheartening when we hear that, you know, uh, the laws are um, going to make us go back in time and just really, um, you know, be so incredibly conservative. It's um. It's painful. I'm glad we live in Canada and hopefully the world will also you know, become more liberal as the time goes by. At the root of it, I still think, and I'd love to know what you think, fear 
has a tremendous role. Fear of what, though? Us versus them. Like, I, th- I think, you know, some of us are so uh, connected or so attached to certain beliefs that we just don't see other people as having an ability to have other beliefs. You know, like, it's really hard for us to respect the and, and, and be more inclusive. Let people yeah. who want to live that way live that way without persecution or prosecution. And you live your way. Just let us be. I think being inclusive and non-judgmental is so, so important. That's the best thing, being inclusive and non-judgmental. I love it so much. Tell us about the book Alice in Polyland. Alice in Polyland uh, is a book that uh, is full of erotic stories uh, and erotic photos, but also practical tips on how to accomplish the fantasies that are described in it. And, and in it, I've described my experience as a polyamorous person as I was exploring kink and energy orgasms and domination submission. It's it's a really fun uh, book that gives you a few ideas for date nights, right? You don't have to be polyamorous in order to embrace them. It just gives you kind of a range of things that you can do and how you can play with sexuality. And sexuality is such a fun playground. And what a great title. Alice in Wonderland, Alice in Polyland. Alice in Polyland is my scene name. And so I, because I just love exploring polyamory and I felt like it was a wonderland, you know, it was like a really <laughs> playful adventure. <laughs> Tell me about the photographs in your book, Alice in Polyland. So um, a collection of beautiful photos. Um, I think as part of kind of coming out and, and becoming who I am right now, I've decided to try uh, to be a model for erotic photography. And so I've worked with a few photographers and it's actually been a really fun journey. I recommend it to a lot of people who want to see themselves in a different light or maybe improve their self-esteem, right? Because there's nothing better than seeing like gorgeous photos of you. Um, And so uh, some of those favorite photos that I've taken are part of this book as well. Well, I have my homework to do because it's the only thing I didn't get to in learning about (laughs) you was actually get this book, Alice in Polyland. Other than, not like it's not enough, other than becoming an accredited psychotherapist this spring? Accredited energy therapist and, and uh, yeah, registered psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, I think it's going to be a year of transition for me because I will be transitioning in my sex education and healing practice to psychotherapy uh, to with the focus on sex therapy. So I'm excited for new learning, for new opportunities. Um, I will be doing some public speaking as usual. I will be running groups. I'm excited to promote my courses more and do one-on-ones. So I think it's going to be a great year. What's the absolute best one-stop shop to find out more about you? I think if you go to UnleashedSynergy.com, you will be able to find um, a lot of information. UnleashedSynergy.com. That's where you'll find Eugenia. And it was such a pleasure. You're a beautiful woman. and uh, And I'm so pleased about your accomplishments thus far and those that are coming. Thanks for sharing your insights and uh, and your adventures with us here at the Blue Hotel. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. I loved being on your uh, podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Thank you. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods.
you looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.